Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Michelle Sargent. Michelle is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified community resiliency model teacher, and is working towards her certification as a trauma resiliency model practitioner. She is dedicated to social justice, celebrates neurodiversity, and is an ally of the LGBTQI plus community. With a philosophy firmly rooted in somatic depth and humanistic psychology traditions, her therapeutic approach blends multiple modalities such as Gestalt, Jungian, Trauma Resiliency Model, Play Therapy, Internal Family Systems, CBT, Solution-Focused Therapy, and Mindfulness Practices. She cultivates a safe, collaborative space to help individuals, children, and families reach their therapeutic goals and expand well-being in mind, body, and spirit. Today, we talk about trauma and resiliency-informed therapy and our approaches to care. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so you know a lot about trauma and stress and the trauma resiliency model. Yes. Um, The first question I think where we should begin is this idea of the effect that trauma and stress has on the brain. Yeah, so... I believe it's so important for folks to understand that many of the common reactions we experience in response to highly stressful or traumatic events are a result of our biological design, not mental weakness. So our brain and our nervous system are brilliantly designed by nature to help keep human beings alive and to survive as a species. So explained very, very simply, think of our brains as being made up of three parts. There's the brain stem, that's the unconscious survival part. So that beats our heart and breathes our breath, for example. Uh, then there's the middle or primal emotional part. In this part of the brain, there's a little almond-shaped guy called the amygdala. And the amygdala is like our brain's watchtower. It is always unconsciously using our five senses to scan the environment for safety or danger, friend or foe. And then there's the top part, the cortex. That's the rational thinking part of the brain. So... When a highly stressful or traumatic event or a series of events happens, the amygdala signals to the rest of the brain danger. When this happens, the rational brain goes offline because thinking, believe it or not, would not help us with survival. Thinking is way too slow. But the survival brain kicks in and we go into a survival response, which is fight, flight, freeze, or tend and befriend. So meaning that the brain signals the body to defend, to escape, to go limp or freeze, or to befriend an aggressor, for example, or protect the children. Again, these responses are totally unconscious. So one more important thing to note is that when a highly stressful or traumatic event happens, the amygdala also takes like a sensory snapshot of the event, the sights, the smells, the sounds in the environment. So this essentially etches the traumatic memory into the body where these sensory memories can get stuck. So if any of those same stimuli show up in the environment again, the survival response will kick in to try and complete that incomplete survival response. Meaning if say bacon is cooking at the same time you experience a trauma, then later, if you happen to smell bacon, your survival brain will send a danger signal to the body and the rational brain might also go offline. So that's why folks feel so hijacked sometimes by their symptoms. 
like the panic attack that just happens out of nowhere or the person who sees red and goes into a rage. What's really happening is the survival brain is responding to a perceived danger because the trauma is stuck in the body. And this is why a somatic approach can be so helpful because it helps folks reset their brain and also gently release that stuck trauma in the body. One question I have is what would a typical example be of someone's brain due to past traumas, their brain getting triggered in ways that aren't adaptive anymore? Actually, I'll just use myself as an example. So when I was about 30 years old, I had a terrible fall and I felt two stories to a concrete floor and almost died, but I didn't because I had this amazing freeze response in my body. My body just went completely slack. I went into what I think they call dorsal dive, which is like all the systems just shut down and that kept me alive. I didn't break any bones because I just went limp. So it's a great trauma response, right? However, in the moment that I fell, there was a strobe light happening, which is actually what made me feel like I became disoriented. So now, later on, when I would see a strobe light, I would kind of pass out. Like my body would go, strobe light, time to pass out. That's what we need to do to keep Michelle alive and safe. So that's kind of an example of like in the moment, that was the absolute best survival response. And I'm so thankful to my body for doing that unconsciously. I had no choice in the matter. My brain just did it to keep me alive. But now if I'm watching a really good movie like The Matrix, I don't want to pass out during that. Like I'm completely safe. So that would be an example of there's a stuck trauma response in my brain, Mm -hmm. which then I used somatic therapy to work through because cognitive therapy didn't work because I used, I was disassociated when it happened. So I have no memory of my incident. I can't talk myself out of that trauma. Got it. Thank you for sharing that example. My pleasure. Helpful. So thinking about a trauma-informed and resiliency-informed approaches, what does that mean when we hear those words? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you kind of think of the way that we've looked at mental health and mental illness over the years because of, I don't know, maybe it's Western society or, you know, our kind of Eurocentric view, we've had a very strong, what they call medical model, which is really, really helpful when we have physical diseases, right? You want to know like, okay, what's wrong with my heart or what's wrong with my liver? Cause I want to fix it. But with mental illnesses and especially things like stress related or anxiety related disorders, That's not always the most helpful thing because you can't put your finger on it. So a trauma-informed model doesn't ask the question maybe the medical model would ask. The medical model, for example, would say, like, what's wrong with you? A trauma-informed model would ask, what's happened to you? Mm -hmm. So it's really looking at, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have a pathology. Something happened to you. You responded. And now maybe there's some stuff that you need to work through. And that's really, really helpful. That's like taking us a step, I think, in the right direction. But a resiliency-formed approach takes that even one step further. So the resiliency-informed approach not only asks what happened to you, but it asks what's right with you. What helped you get through that difficult experience or difficult time? So that's kind of taking it 
even to a deeper layer, which I believe and others believe depathologizes some of our mental health issues and normalizes what seems abnormal because a trauma response, especially if it's stuck in the body, feels really abnormal, feels really wrong. And yet what it is, is it's a very natural, very normal response to a stressful or difficult situation. Um, So it kind of helps people lose the shame around what could be a traumatic experience. And it also helps them, I think, take back the power of their own bodies and understanding their body's response to trauma. And then also how they can regain control over their body's response to things. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. It's kind of coming from a strength-based place. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's super strength-based. Definitely. So when we hear TRM and CRM, what are those? Yes. So the trauma resilience model was developed some years ago by Elaine Miller-Karras and Lori Leach. It's a biological model that's focused on the gentle nervous system release and reprocessing of traumatic experiences. It's gentle, it's invitational, and it's non-invasive. And as you said, it's strength-based. So TRIM, as like we like to call the trauma resilience model, TRIM consists of nine concrete skills. And the first six of these skills are wellness and self-care skills that anybody can use. So what they decided to do is they took those first six concrete skills of TRIM and made CRIM, which is the community resilience model. And the reason they did this was because this model was developed at first as kind of a trauma first aid. So Elaine and Lori would go into disaster sites like after tsunamis and hurricanes, and they would use the trauma resilience model to help people kind of get back on their feet. And what they started to realize was that the first six wellness skills, which are not clinical, they're they're really community-based and anybody can use them. Those first six skills could be made into their separate model so that they could be shared worldwide with communities, organizations, as well as individuals in order to spread the wellness skills and also help inform people in kind of a body-based biological idea of trauma and wellness. So CRIM, the Community Resilience Model, is now its own standalone model, which is taught all over the world. And you can also access that model and learn the skills yourself on the iChill app, which is a free app. So it's kind of the idea of they wanted to make this model adaptable, affordable, and accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then TRIM has three more skills in addition to the wellness skills. And those skills are trauma processing techniques, which are adapted from Peter Levine's somatic experience model. And they're done with the support of a trained clinician. They must be done in sessions. The first six skills prepare you to do that work. But then those three final skills are where the trauma response gets released and completed. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about the listener and the listener might be listening to this podcast because they're curious about specific work that's done for trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess the question is, how would someone know that they need help for Mm. processing past traumas? And how do they even go about looking to find a provider, a therapist, or a psychologist who's specially trained in this? Yeah. Okay. So to the first part of the question, how does someone know they need help? 
I mean, sometimes that's really obvious to folks, like something very specific has happened. Like, for example, me with my fall, that was a a visible event. So something like a car accident or some kind of large disastrous event, what we call a shock trauma. And if someone has that experience and then finds that they might be experiencing either repetitive memories or maybe um, the environment, you know, they just begin to freak out or have panic attacks when they never used to, and they don't know why, they can kind of point to that event and think, okay, let's connect the dots. But for others, it might not be so clear. I always like to invite my clients to consider if someone is really experiencing distress and they might be experiencing sensations in their bodies or even responding irritably or behaving in ways that they don't understand. And they have the idea like, you know, I know this was the wrong way to respond, but it was almost like I couldn't help myself. It was like my body just reacted. I just started yelling. And even though I know X, Y, Z, it's like my body did it. I always like to invite those folks to consider looking into a somatic-based model, whether it's for trauma or just anxiety or another issue, because obviously there's something happening in their body that might be an incomplete trauma response or stress response. So I have a lot of clients who maybe CBT works great for up to a point or dialectical behavior works up to a point, you know, and then at some point there's something in their bodies that's asking for more. So that's one indicator. Is something happening in your body that you can't talk away? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So how does someone figure out who to see them? Yeah. So there's a lot of great directories that you can look up off the top of my head. Obviously, if you want to find someone who works with the trauma resiliency model, they can go to the Trauma Resource Institute site and find a model within their directory. Um, We can put that in the show notes later, all the the links. They can also look up somatic experiencing. So if they want that model, that's a little bit kind of a longer. I love TRIM because it's very solution focused. So, you know, and people can actually practice skills in between sessions. I love to be able to hand power back to my clients. But if they want to go into approach like somatic experiencing, that also involves body work, which can be helpful for some people. They can go to somatic experiencing, just type in somatic experiencing directory, and you'll go to the international somatic experiencing directory. Or you can just type, you know, somatic therapy into Google, and Google will probably give you many, many friendly results. You can also go on things like Psychology Today or Therapy Den. And just type in somatic. And then you can find a directory in your neighborhood with someone who specializes in somatic therapy. So like those local directories are really, really helpful as well. Right. And I think it's just important for the listener to know that it's a specialization within kind of therapy or psychology. And so not every therapist or psychologist may specialize in this. And those resources are helpful to kind of get a list of specialists. Yeah, that's a really good point because a lot of people might lean towards somatic therapy or dig it, quote unquote, or, you know, think it's great, but if that's different than becoming certified in a model. And the other question I have is I'm also just thinking about the listener. If if someone has a therapist that they 
they want to continue seeing their therapist, would they sometimes add on a somatic therapist for a short period of time to kind of pursue this model? Do, do people ever have their individual therapy and then add on a somatic therapy experience with a specialist? Yes. Yeah, that can absolutely happen. I think that happens a lot already with EMDR, which is another somatic model if people are interested in it. I movement desensitization and reprocessing. So yes, if you have a therapist that you love and then you want to add on a somatic therapist, it's a different specialization. So even with insurance, that should, you know, I can't speak for all insurances, but ethically, that is absolutely something someone can do. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you giving us, I mean, it, it's such a complex topic. It is. <laughs> I have such a short conversation about it. I, I appreciate you being able to kind of allow it to seem clearer to the listener. I've been educated on it. So I hope the listener has as well. Yes, I hope so too. Um, like you said, it's it's such a big topic. I feel like I could talk on it for hours. So I hope some of this was helpful. Yeah. And I'll make sure you provided a a lot of great links. So we'll make sure that the listener can access those um, in the episode description to learn a bit more about this. Okay, great. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.